Hi, and welcome to the Overflow Podcast. I'm Chuck Ammons, teaching pastor at Overflow Church in Brandon, Florida, and we are here to help you receive the Father's love and to release it to everyone you encounter everywhere. Wherever you're listening from today, your God adores you. I pray this message elevates and ignites your faith. On this podcast, you will find biblical messages to activate your faith, as well as our You Asked For It series, where we address your questions about trusting God's goodness as Father and living out His fullness as beloved sons and daughters. To find out more about Overflow Church, visit us at myoverflowchurch.com or on Facebook at Overflow Church Brandon. We'd also love to encourage you to check out our book, Life in the Overflow, and its accompanying devotional at Amazon.com. Happy Mother's Day to the moms out there today. I am a man whose life has been defined and shaped by some very special mamas and women of God in my life that I want to honor this morning. I was, I was raised by a rock star mom who is actually watching online right now. I love my mom. Uh, many of you have heard my story. My dad died when I was six years old, and me and my sister, there, there, there are a lot of people who could walk through a tragedy like that as a mom and let that tragedy mark them. But my mom didn't shut down. She stepped up. And she made me and my sister everything in her life. I want to say proudly that I learned compassion and patience and hospitality and, yes, lots of humor from my mom. It was with her that I learned innocence and forgiveness and selfless, joyous service of just pouring yourself out for others, not by anything she said, but just by watching the example of her life. And I want to tell you, and I I want to say to my mom, not only am I proud that she's my mom, my mom is one of my best friends on the planet. I talk to her multiple times a week, not because that's what a good son does, but because she's just awesome. And so I just want to talk to her. So I honor you, mom, today. And I have the joy also of having an incredible mother-in-law. I I love the fact that I can't understand in-law jokes from the inside uh, because my mother-in-law has advocated and cheered for me from moment one. Listen, she loved me before Jill even liked me. All right, so she was in my corner from the start. And when I watch my mother-in-law, what I see is someone who is generous and kind-hearted. She makes me laugh, even though, now here's the deal, we play trivia at our dinner table, and my mother-in-law is living with us right now. And listen, she makes me laugh, and most times she makes me laugh by something she says, but every night at dinner, she can't hear a single thing I say on the other side of the table. So I'll be like, what's the largest planet? And it'll be quiet for a minute. She goes, huh, what did he say? Like, over and over and over again. But I honor my mother-in-law most of all because she poured her very soul into my wife, into her brothers as a single mom. She worked hard. She taught responsibility and integrity and love. She's a woman who endured tragedy but did not let her love grow cold. I love and honor my mother-in-law. And then, listen, I grew up in a home where I was the only boy with three older sisters, which means that I was in a dress and makeup way more than should have been legal or appropriate. (laughs) But my three sisters all grew up to be amazing moms. My sister, Whitney, has been my defender from day one. My older sister, she's got my back. She's never wavered. Whitney is a poet. 
She's a prophet in a deep, deep well of faithful love. She's got precious kids and grandkids because my sister, who's also watching online, is getting old. Let's just be honest. So <laughs> what would Mother's Day be without a little ribbing from your much younger brother? So I love her. My sister Kelly is a champion. I'm in awe of the strength of my sister Kelly, one of the strongest people I know. She has faced more than her share of tragedy and pain, including having to say goodbye to one of her sons in his infancy. And I've watched this woman tirelessly fight day and night for her boys and now her grandkids to know the fullest life. And I am so proud of them, and I am so proud of her. And my oldest sister, Beverly, Beverly was a treasure. She was an advocate for the weak and the marginalized and the hurting. She was a mama of some beautiful nieces that were her entire world, a beautiful and brave soul and a gift all the days that we got to walk with her on the earth. As I think about Mother's Day this morning, I'm also overwhelmed by the spiritual moms and sisters that God has placed in my life. I've got a spiritual mama that protects and speaks life into me all the time. Mama Cindy, you guys can call her Pastor Cindy, but to me she is Mama Cindy and has spoken life into me. And i got to tell you, if Cindy comes and gives you a word and she points in your face like this, it's already done in heaven, so just agree with it on earth. (laughs) I have the joy of some spiritual sisters that are my joy, and they heal my heart. Aaron, Ruth, Brenda, Courtney. I have the joy of some of the best grandmas on the planet, my Nana and my Mima, who have marked my life with a love for Jesus and a love for people. But most of all, I got to say today on Mother's Day, listen, y'all, I married way up. I married my hero, an unbelievable mom. I can't even look at her right now. I want to tell you that my wife, Jill, is the greatest person I know. She lays down her life for those she loves and in that way looks just like my Savior. She got her master's degree 20 years ago because her desire was that one day she would teach her kids, not having any idea how many of them she was going to have, And how often she was going to have to pour into that. She's taken that forward all the way now that not only is she teaching her kids, but she's opened an academy here at Overflow that she oversees. Because for the last two decades, I've watched her advocate for and teach everybody else's kids and come alongside mamas and build them up. I watch her day in and day out fight for the dreams of our kids, that they would have opportunities, that their passions and their voice would be heard. She fights for their education. She fights for their health. She never stops thinking and praying and dreaming about them. And listen, dads in the room, you'll know this feeling because there's an anointing only a mom has. It'll be 12, 15, after midnight, you're falling asleep and they'll lean over and be like, hey, what I was just thinking about, were you thinking about the fact that our son in two years is gonna go need to take his driver's test and so maybe what we should start doing is change the insurance? And I was like, no, I was thinking about like, which came first, the color orange or the fruit? Like, I don't know. Which one that was. But moms are always thinking about their children, and that is true of my bride. With every breath that she has, she advocates for their hearts and their futures. She makes our life an adventure. I want to tell you, boys, if it was just me at home, there'd be lots of work, and it'd be really boring. But you got your mama, and she does it all with a smile on her face. My wife, Jill, is the most kind-hearted, gracious, innocent, selfless, hilarious, compassionate, strong person I know. 
and I adore you, and I celebrate you. I have two goals for us today. Goal number one in this time is I want to honor the voice in the heart and the vital place of women in the kingdom of God alongside their brothers. And in that, I want to help us specifically honor the moms and spiritual moms in our life. So goal one today is all about honor. Women, I want to honor you. I want to lift you up and I want to celebrate you the way I believe heaven is celebrating and I want to tell you that I believe the days are done. And take this as not just a wish. This is a prophetic declaration of what is being done. So get on the boat. I'm going to say that. Anybody listen to my voice? I believe the days are done of the ignorant theology of constructing glass ceilings and partitions and misusing the word of God as a weapon to alienate and silence God's daughters. Women are co-equal partners in the kingdom of God. We go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, and when God said that he was going to make a helper for Adam, the word literally helper is the word completer. It's the word completer. And if you'll remember, when the only voice on earth to speak about the diversity and the beauty of God was male, God said, it's not good. I want to say something to several hundreds of years or even thousands of years of church experience where we've walked in and said, the men will lead the way, the men will do the teaching, the men will cast the vision. I want to say, if you could just go back to the Garden of Eden, the very first thing God said about humanity is if the full diversity and glory of God is being carried by men alone, it's not good. And that's not a word slamming dudes, okay? Because what I want to tell you is if the woman would have been made first, if Eve would have been made first, and the only voice to speak for the diversity and glory and beauty of God was female equally, it would not be good. Why? Because the image of God will only ever adequately be expressed on planet Earth, male and female. The image of God will never be released on Earth until it is released in co-equal, honoring, trusting partnership between sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. So as I stand to honor you today, my sisters, this is what I want to say to you. With every fiber of my being, with every breath in my lungs, with every moment I am afforded on planet Earth, I will use my voice to elevate yours. When I'm teaching and writing in public and in meetings and counsel and advocacy, in private, I will do everything I can before the Lord to kick open doors to lift you up higher and to see that space is made for your heart to shine. For the women of Overflow Church, I want to humbly ask for every person that due to their fear or their ignorance or their selfishness failed to see you, to invite you, or to celebrate you. I want just for a moment to stand in the gap and ask, would you forgive us? Would you choose this Mother's Day to release all bitterness and not be a victim any longer, but a victor? It's my joy to call you out of every place of hesitation and apprehension to step into the fullness of God's voice for you in this season, yeah? Is that good? I want to say to my daughter, and to the daughters of Overflow, to those who are watching, starting to grow up. I love doing a baby dedication here. Those who are growing up at 
Overflow Church, I want to say to the daughters of Overflow, you will never have to fight for your seat at the table that Jesus already purchased for you here. I want to speak prophetically and say this, the men in our body will not take our seat until we see you standing at yours. Let me say that again for somebody in the back. It's not good for the man to stand alone. The men at our church will not rest and we will not take our seat until we see every lady standing at theirs. To the moms of overflow, the selfless heroes who pour themselves out, we often fail as humanity to really recognize the vitality you bring. I believe when Jesus said that the, the first would be last, but many who are seen as last on earth, they're actually first. I think what he may have had in his mind were some selfless mamas who carry him as they carry us all the days of their life. So I honor you. I want to say, moms, we see you today. We see you absorbing misunderstanding and dishonor and pain. We see you tirelessly loving through sleepless nights and diaper changes and being vomited on over and over again. We see your call from your child's infancy to the grave because motherhood is a grace you wear so well. We thank you for never relinquishing your voice despite the changing of seasons. So I want to ask this. If you are a mom or a spiritual mom in the room, would you just lift your hand? If you are a mom or a spiritual mother, can we thank the Lord for the mamas in our life today? Mom, we honor you. And I pray that you will be refreshed today. The first goal that I had for us today was to honor the role God has given women and especially moms in the kingdom of God. But my second role, my second goal today is to elevate all of us, especially my sisters, that we be refreshed and renewed in the crucial places we walk. And I want to do this by looking at three women that show up in Jesus' life, all named Mary. Now, this is pretty cool. We've been reading through the Gospels together. You guys enjoying that, walking through? You're getting ready to go into the Gospel of Luke. Listen, you're halfway there. That is so cool. Oh, we're halfway there. You made it, yeah? We're going. And one of the things we asked the Lord through this whole series is I said, Lord, I so much want us as your sons and daughters to get to see your word in real time. And so I asked the Lord this kind of silly prayer. I just said, as we go, Lord, I would love it. Like the the dates are going to fall and the holidays are going to fall, but I would love it if what you want to say to the church could somehow show up in what we're about to read that week. And so once again, God did it because you're going to read this week about three distinct women in the life of Jesus, all named Mary. And all who, if we can see their lives, we're going to breathe in deeper. So breathe in. We're going to elevate today. I want to elevate our faith to walk in fullness. The first woman that I want to look at, her name is Mary of Bethany. Mary of Bethany teaches us what it means to live broke open before Jesus. Mark chapter 14, it says this. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany, this is the last week of Jesus' life, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard, And she broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. She has done what she could. 
Mary of Bethany shows up three times in the Bible, and what's remarkable is each time she's in the same place. In all three of Mary's stories, you find her at the feet of Jesus. And here she is in the last week of Jesus' life, and there's a lot of people that don't get the significance, but Mary understands something that the rest of us don't see. She showed up to this dinner not to receive, but to give. And she brought this costly perfume in an alabaster jar. Now, here's what's important to us. This perfume would have cost her a year's wages. And in the world Mary of Bethany lived in, it was not equal opportunity, equal rights. Women didn't have a voice. Women didn't have opportunity. And so most scholars believe that this perfume, this jar, was her most prized possession. It was either an inheritance or a wedding dowry, but either way, this is the one big extravagant gift she was going to get, never to be repeated again. And on a normal night for everybody else, Mary knew something was up, and she took it, and she broke it open at Jesus' feet. Why? Because it was a declaration of her saying, this isn't my treasure. My treasure is sitting right in front of me. See, she broke what the world says was her treasure so she could give it to her treasure. Says that when the rest of them saw that, they didn't stand and applaud and go, wow, what a woman. They said, this is why we don't let women speak. This is why we don't let women do things. They get, the guys in the room get indignant and they rebuke her, calling what she did a waste. I want to tell you that in a world of climbing ladders and jockeying for position, in a world of trying to get our own name and bragging about our achievements, Extravagant worship will often be seen as both intimidating and impractical. And yet, it's the only time you ever hear Jesus say that something that happened to him was beautiful. You know what the word beautiful means of Mary's action? It means surpassing worth, precious, and useful. Jesus responded and said, no, the one thing that came here, everybody else jockeying for position, I'm going to be important, I'm going to be useful by all I do. Mary breaks it up and he says, now that, that is what's useful. And I want you to know that the only thing in our life, the only thing in our life that can never be wasted is our worship. I got to tell you, when I think about Mary of Bethany, there's one person that is always in my mind, and it is my sister, Pastor Ruth. Ruth in Valley's End wrote a song uh, last year that starts off with the words, I want to break the jar for you, coming from this scene here. And when she wrote it like this is her prayer, I want to break the jar for you. I wanted to be like, Ruth, you already did it. You do it all the time. You win. You live your life broken open before Jesus. And I want you to know as Ruth has been walking through, seeing God break through in her life and walking through the hills in valleys of mystery, of not understanding where Jesus is. I just want to say this, and Ruth, I know you will know the context of this, and a lot of others won't, but your leading worship was the most beautiful act of defiance before the kingdom of darkness that I think I've ever seen in my life. If we could see with spiritual eyes, you're a freaking bodybuilder, my sister, okay? We honor you. We honor you. And our worship is never wasted. What does Mary of Bethany teach us? In a world that's saying all the time, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to arrive here, you got to take care of this person. Mary is the one that will stop and wait. And she says, the only work I'm ever going to do on planet Earth will come out of my worship. And Jesus says, that's the only thing that's ever going to be useful. 
Because our God doesn't need us to work, but he delights when we worship. And I love the way Jesus ends this that he said to Mary of Bethany. He said, she did what she could. In just a minute, we're going to look at Mary's story and ask a question. Is What is it that God is saying right now? What is the treasure that you're pursuing? What is it, men and women, what is it you're spending all of your time running after? What's it all for? And most importantly, what can you do this week to stop, to stop striving, to stop worrying, to stop doing, and to be broken open at his feet? We're going to look at that in just a minute. The second Mary that we see in Jesus' life was Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene is the picture of letting Jesus bring beauty from your brokenness. So I love the picture. You look at Mary of Bethany, it's all about coming to Jesus in your brokenness. You look at Mary Magdalene, and Mary Magdalene comes to the other side. By the time we meet her and we see her, she's a woman radiating with beauty because of what God did in her brokenness. So you see these two sides. Mary of Bethany, broken, one time losing her brother Lazarus and on her feet grieving, one time breaking her most expensive perfume. You see Mary Magdalene radiating because of all Jesus did when she was broken. We see her story in Mark chapter 16. You guys are going to read this in just a few days. Said when the Sabbath was passed, sorry, this is a spoiler alert for anybody who hasn't read this part yet. You're about to find out how the story ends. It's really good. It's a good one. You should read it. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene bought spices to go and anoint Jesus. This is right after Jesus was crucified. This is early that Sunday morning. Says as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe, sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene who was crucified, but he has risen. He's not here. See the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, from whom he cast out seven demons, and she went and told those who had been with him. Mary Magdalene's story, it says simply that she had been set free of seven demons. Now, the poetic way they would write, the number seven was the number of completion. If you want to know what Mary Magdalene's story was, is she was the poster child of a complete wreck. That's what it's saying. She was a complete wreck. If you'd look and go, who is it that you'd say is hopeless? And I'm just going to say, if you see somebody being oppressed by a demon, we'd say, that looks pretty bad, right? She had seven of them. It was the number of completion. She's a complete wreck. Mary Magdalene is the poster child for every person who feels they've blown it, they've gone too far. She's the girl who tells you what Jesus longs to do in all of us. And I love this because what it says in the day of the resurrection is that he had to appear to her first. Now in the Gospel of John, talking about this, it says Mary Magdalene, when she came to him, she didn't even know it was Jesus. She thought it was the gardener. And you know, in a far deeper way than she knew, she was right. See, when we sinned in the Garden of Eden... We died in a way that everything we were going to do spiritually was only going to bring thorns and thistles and death from the ground. But on this morning in a garden right outside of Gethsemane, the gardener had come to make all things right. And the first person he had to see was his daughter, Mary. The one who was willing to admit that she was broken and she couldn't fix herself. And now she would become the first preacher 
of the resurrection. I'm going to be on a soapbox for just a minute, but I just want to say this. Questions come all the time. Why do you say the Bible says that women can preach and teach? I want to say, like, did you look at the first preacher of the resurrection? I don't know. It was a woman, right? Do you, do you see the picture there, right? It, it, how insane is it that when we set up churches, we say, women can't preach. Who says women can preach? I go, I would just go back to the resurrection where he said, you go and tell your brothers. So maybe we missed something if we keep trying to silence women. Anyway, you can have that one for another day. All right. He says, go and tell your brothers. And I love this, what he says. Is, do you see what it says? It says, go tell the disciples and Peter. Isn't that great? Because we remember the story, right? Jesus stood before the disciples and he said, you're all going to deny me. And Peter, Peter was the leader. Right? You have the 12, then you have the three, James, Peter, and John. But there's no question, Peter is the leader of the disciples. And Peter steps up in a really bold leadership move. He says, Jesus, let me set this straight. All those guys might reject you. But I certainly won't. And he said, Peter, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And, of course, Peter hasn't. So Peter is in his deepest shame. And so get this picture of the garden once again. What happened when we sinned in the garden? We sinned in the garden, and we ran, and we hid in our shame. And now she's standing before the gardener. And the gardener said, hey, I need you to know something, sister. I need you to know that right now your brother is hiding in shame, trying to cover himself with the fig leaves of all that he did. And I need you to go and tell your brothers. But this is what I love, and this is why if we'll slow down and get the Bible story, you'll see not a word is wasted. He says, tell the disciples that I will meet them in Galilee. Now, we're here in America. We're like, sweet, Galilee, got it. But to them, that meant something totally different. Because, you see, Galilee was where it all started. Galilee was where he first called the disciples. Every disciple except Judas Iscariot was called from Galilee. Galilee was where they saw the first miracle of their king at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Galilee was where they first learned about the kingdom of God in a sermon on a mount. Galilee is where they first saw the glory of God in the transfiguration. Galilee was the place where Peter got the nerve to get out of the boat and to walk on water because Jesus said he could. Galilee was where they fell head over heels with Jesus. And I want you to hear this. The, the author, Ronald Rollhauser, he says this. He says, Galilee is more than a geographical place. It's a place of the heart. The place of falling in love, of first fervor, of being inflamed with high ideals, of walking on water because one is naive and trustful enough to believe it's possible. Galilee is the place we were before our hearts and our ideals got crucified. The place inside us where we trust and hope and where it's gestated. See, a few days earlier, the disciples had abandoned Jesus and their mission. And now the gardener had come to call them out of their shame. And who did he pick but the woman that was the complete wreck and completely hopeless, Mary Magdalene. Go tell your brothers that I'm taking them back to the beginning, back to Eden, back to their first love. And so I want to say there's a word for one of us this morning. The word is this. Jesus is waiting for you in Galilee. He hasn't changed his mind about you. You've gotten to the place where it's gotten hard, and maybe you feel you've abandoned him. Maybe you feel you're distracted. Maybe you heard that word about Mary of Bethany, and you can remember when your worship before Jesus was so sweet, before everybody started sapping all the strength out of you every day. And right now you want to feel ashamed, but I want to tell you, Jesus is waiting for you in Galilee with his arms wide open. Galilee is the place where we step into the beauty of what our king can do. So we see Mary of Bethany. 
the one who comes in all of her brokenness before the Lord. You see Mary Magdalene, the one who stands in the beauty because of what Jesus does to free us from our brokenness. But the final Mary that we see, the most significant one named Mary in the life of Jesus is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And we see that her story is continuing to love in the tension between beauty and brokenness. The story of Mary is incredible. And it's a shame because so much of what's happened within the Catholic Church has made a whole lot of Protestants afraid to even talk about Mary. You go to talk about Mary, they're oh no, you can't talk about Mary because somebody took the pendulum too far. But I gotta tell you, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is one of the most remarkable people in all of Scripture. Her story starts in Luke chapter 1, and it's a contrast between the high priest Zechariah and Mary. Now, Zechariah, who was a priest in his day, was respected, and he had been sent in the temple. You remember this? Zechariah is going to be John the Baptist's dad. And Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, they wanted a child, but she was barren. She couldn't have a child. He's serving. And all of a sudden, the Bible says, I love how the Bible drops this like it's just fine. It says, and then all of a sudden, the archangel Gabriel showed up in the temple. And then it just moves on. Like, like we just ordered a cheeseburger, right? And we're just moving on. And it says that Gabriel showed up in the temple. This is amazing. When you read about angels, you can read about angels in the book of Daniel. It says literally, they've got these rippling muscles. They look otherworldly. They're shining. They're bright. You want to know how terrifying it is to see an angel? Every single one that shows up has the same phrase. Don't be afraid. (laughs) Don't be afraid. And now in the temple, Zechariah, who's been praying, sees the archangel Gabriel. Listen, that's one of the big three. Man, that's awesome. Gabriel begins to speak to him, and he tells him that though his wife has passed her childbearing years, she's going to have a child, and you're going to name him John. And then I love this, because Zechariah says, well, what sign can you give me to prove that's going to happen? And I'm like, (laughs) the archangel Gabriel is speaking to you in the temple right now, big-muscled, Shining, don't be afraid, Gabriel speaking. You're like, I just, I'm going to need a little more proof if that's going <laughs> to that's gonna happen. It's the same thing you see later with Jesus and the religious leaders who say, give us a sign, give us a sign, give us a sign. Why? Because, listen, this is why this frustrates the Spirit of God. Because it's people in control requiring proof before we're willing to participate. Zechariah was requiring proof before he would participate. Why? Because it meant too much to him. It was his whole world. He wanted to have a kid. And he's like, I'm not sure yet I can put myself on the dock because I don't know what I could do if you don't come through for me, God. So before I step out and participate, I would like some proof. Why? Because what Zechariah is being asked is highly unlikely. Women don't typically have children after their childbearing years when they've been known all of their life to be barren. That's highly unlikely. If we look at it statistically, maybe he's in a 1% chance of something happening. And then we go to the next scene, and we meet Mary. And once again, we see that the same angel, Gabriel, shows up to Mary. Why? They're trying to give us a contrast here, a comparison that we can see something that's different between her story and his. Gabriel shows up to Mary and tells her something that's not highly unlikely, but something that's biologically impossible, that a virgin is going to have a kid. Now listen, we're not going to have a sex ed class today, but I will tell you, in the history of mankind... 100% of people minus one person have been born by the same process from which virgins are disqualified. 
Mary didn't just see that it was unlikely. All of her life, everything she'd known, everything she has heard, babies come from women who are not virgins. But yet Gabriel showed up and said that God said it, and Mary didn't need proof. She wanted partnership. She said this, I'm all in. Just give me direction on my part so I'll know how to obey. When she says, how shall this be? It wasn't give me proof. It was, hey, this is all I need to know. Sweet, I'm gonna have a child. Great, I just need to understand. So are you saying this is gonna happen because right now I'm betrothed to my husband, so are you, you just give me a word for the future that after we consummate, that's gonna be the child? Or are you doing something else? I'm listening. And he says, no, what's gonna happen is you as a virgin are gonna have a child. And listen, it gets to the end of all of this, and this is what Mary says at the end of this. Not, I need a sign, I need proof. Listen to this. Between beauty and brokenness, she says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. You know the word amen we put on the end of all of our prayers? It literally means so be it. When you say amen, you're saying like Mary, may it be as you have said. Maybe that needs to change some of our prayers this week. Because sometimes we pray some prayers that sound like really nice, but then we're like trying to get Jesus off the hook by the end of the prayer. You know what I'm talking about? Jesus, I just pray that you'd heal my brother. Or, you know, whatever you decide that you want to do, like maybe if you want to heal my brother, you could heal him. Or if you want us to just wait in this place, like maybe, amen? There was no so be it. You backed away from it. Mary told something impossible. She says, so be it. And that would be great if that was all Mary's story. But this is actually the shining moment. We go forward just eight days, and we find that from the moment, listen, she gets the one moment, the virgin's going to have a child, it's going to be awesome, and she got to glory in that for exactly one week before the word started getting really, really hard. She shows up at eight days old to take Jesus to the temple to dedicate him. She sees a prophet named Simeon. Simeon has been waiting all of his life to see the Messiah. He'd been looking and waiting, and when he saw Jesus, he knew it was the moment. He ran to Mary, and he began to prophesy, and his words to her are both beautiful and absolutely heartbreaking. So Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and he will be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts and hearts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul, too. This is her baby. This is her world. This is her miracle. This is her promise. And what she's told is that he is going to become the cornerstone of all of humanity that some people are going to choose to build their lives on and live, but others will cast aside to their own great fall. See, it's still true today. Whatever we do with Jesus determines everything about the trajectory of our lives. Those who are unwilling to relinquish pride and violence, it'll mean the downfall of our empires. But to Mary, Simeon said this, Mary, your boy's going to change the world. But you need to know that the way he's going to do it, many people are going to curse him. And there's going to be a great cost. And there's a sword that is going to pierce your soul. See, the price of love is often loss. It's the unspeakable grief that comes when you've chosen to step out there and put your heart on the line and give your all to somebody and you have to say goodbye. It's when you get to hold something that's precious and then it's gone. 
And for Mary, she was given a mix of some hopeful words, some beauty, and some really hard words, some brokenness, and that she was called for the rest of her life with none of it proven, it just being promised to continue on. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, held on. I want you to see right after this is spoken from Simeon. Good words, bad words, all of it, none proven. Jesus is eight days old, right? You go forward, Jesus is 12 in the temple, and this is what it says before she's seen the fruit of any of it. It says, his mother, Mary, treasured all these things. What? The beauty and the brokenness. She held the tension of all of it. If it's going to be with the Lord and it's pleasing to him, may it be to me, as you have said, when it means glory and when it means grief. She treasured it all in her heart. And so Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in favor with God and man. Isn't it amazing that they tie Mary's faithfulness to Jesus being able to grow up in the house, though he's God? Isn't that incredible? See, we, leave, we live right now in the tension between beauty and brokenness. And when Mary stood in that place, she continued to believe. She continued to love she continued to sacrifice. She kept her head up and lived fully when it was impossible, the incarnation, when it would cost her reputation. You'll be pregnant and unmarried, and even though I'm doing a miracle, everybody will put a scarlet letter on you. May it be to me as you've said. When it would break her heart, she held on. And you know the day came that Mary saw it, it was all worth it. Can you imagine what Mary's homecoming in heaven must have been like? When she closed her eyes here and opened them on the other side to see her baby boy in all of his glory, saying, Behold, Mom, I made all things new. And now the one that she had held would hold her forever. Can I ask this morning, what is it that you believe God has told you that you haven't seen the fruit of yet? Where are you living in the tension between beauty and brokenness? Let me go deeper. Where is it that right now everything in your heart wants to grow cold and get bitter and blame because you've loved and in this moment, it feels like you've lost. And you need to hold on. See, in the life of Jesus, there's three Marys and one Savior. And they stand in his life to remind us that his arms are big enough for all of us. All the way from our brokenness until he takes us to beauty. And I want to say, wherever you are in the journey this morning, the day will come where you will open your eyes on the other side of this story and you will find that all things have been made well. How will we stand today? Would you stand with me? I want to ask just a few questions this morning. So in this moment where we go to activation, I'm going to ask if you just close your eyes. We're not going to have an altar call this morning. I don't want anybody to move from your seat. I want this to be a very personal moment between you and Jesus. Every person with your eyes closed, and I'm just going to ask, would you lay your hand on your heart? I believe what this does is it moves it from being a word about somebody else to say, okay, Lord, hand on my heart. This word's for me this morning. Now it's me and you, King Jesus. For every person hearing my voice, you're somewhere in the tension between brokenness and beauty. 
and in his goodness, God sent three daughters who loved faithfully to the end. Worshippers and preachers and revolutionaries. So that today we'd find our place. With your hand on your heart, I just want to ask a few questions. Here's the first one. This is moms, dads, young, old, everybody in the room. Where is it time to stop running, serving everyone else, and allow yourself once more to be broken open at the feet of Jesus? Come on, somebody this morning. You're tired, and you're exhausted, and you're worried, and you're anxious about all the things you think you need to do, and he's saying, hey, just come, just be still. Stop treasuring all that other stuff and just let your treasure be broken open at my feet. Where is he calling you back to a worship of your first love? Let me get super practical right now with your hand on your heart. It says Mary of Bethany did what she could. What could you do this week? What could you do? Sometimes we don't move into worship, into the biggest things that are going to mark us because we got this big idea of all these things that right now are impossible. Maybe you're a mom and you feel like you're being run ragged and you're like, listen, I only got 15 minutes I can breathe. Great, do what you could. Before you will ever be a mom, you will always be his daughter. And he wants your gaze more than anything because that is what he counts as beautiful and useful in his kingdom. Unless our work flows from our worship, it will be useless. Where is he calling you back to your first love? I'll ask a second question with your hand on your heart. Where is it time to go back to Galilee? Are you wrestling with shame? Some decision you've made or something somebody else has done? Grief and heartbreak? Are there things in your dreams that feel like they've gotten crucified? Jesus is standing back in Galilee with his arms wide open. It's not too late. You haven't blown it. It's not over. If it's not yet good, it's not yet done. What burden is he calling you to let go of? And gosh, I pray somebody this morning, what you will see is you've been burdened down walking a road, and I pray you would just see yourself drop it and turn and run to Galilee. He's already on the way to meet you. Last question I want to ask. Where is it time to readjust your grip? Where is it time for you to stand in a place like Mary, the mother of Jesus, and say, I'm not letting go of what you told me? Where is it that you need strength because it feels like a sword is piercing your heart? Would you once again hand on your heart? Let the healer come near. Let him meet you in this moment. Let his grace be upon you. Let him hold you. And would you say with your hand on your heart, I'm not giving up. May it be to me as you said. May it all be as you said. 
Come on, somebody right now, you're going through a health struggle and there's all these questions of all the things that it can mean. But there's a great physician who holds the master plan for your life and it's good. May it be to me as you've said. Not as I say, not as I understand. I don't know how many peaks or hills or valleys, but like Mary, the mother of Jesus, I won't give up. When a sword pierces my heart, may it be to me as you've said, I'll treasure it. Somebody right now, you've loved somebody who is really broken and it has ripped your heart out. And you're wondering if it was worth it to even love in the first place. Don't let your love grow cold. When you will be broken open in love for one another, it's always useful in the kingdom of God. I pray that he'd heal your heart. Don't close off your love. For so many years have passed and you thought your life was going somewhere different. You saw yourself in a very different place than where you are right now. And you tend to think kind of, woe is me, but I want to tell you, my God writes stories that get better and better and better the closer they get to the credits. If you're still breathing, he's not done. Get up. Let me say it to somebody one more time. If you are still breathing, it's not over. Get up. Go meet your king back in Galilee. He's got dreams and wonders you can't even imagine. I want to say to moms and spiritual moms in this room, I bless you. To the ladies hearing my voice, I honor you. And to my brothers and my sisters, I join you in this moment between brokenness and beauty, that we would let Jesus come and meet us there. And together we will stand and see him and see that all things shall be well.